Open your Bibles with me this morning to Romans chapter 5. Mark that and then go back to Genesis 1. We're going to be in both places this morning. I don't know how many of you have Facebook. I admit that I do. I keep up with a lot of people around the world with Facebook. And early Monday morning, we got the message that Audi and Martha Feitosa had passed away. She left a husband, two sons, and several grandchildren. She was preceded in death by her son and her parents. Her death was only remarkable because she was our friend. She died as many do, from ailments, from accidents, or old age. I mention her because she's one of billions that have passed since the time of Adam. And because of Adam's sin, death has reigned in men's lives since that time, both physical and spiritual. Paul wrote in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. The good news is that though Alia died a physical death, she, like her parents and her son, are now alive in Jesus and enjoying eternal life. The title of our message this morning is Grace Will Reign. And I think the key verse is verse 17. So if you want to just skip down there real quick, we'll, we'll look at that before we get back and read our text. Verse 17 says, since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? As we read our text this morning, we're going to see a couple of times where Paul says, how much more? I'm going to give you my outline before we raise our, read our text. There are two points in this mess, in this this text, death came into the world through one sinful act, or death reigns. The other point is eternal life came into the world through one righteous act, grace reigns. Now, there's not a place where Paul says, okay, this is one section, this is section, but they're kind of uh, all together. So if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we'll read our text beginning with the 12th verse of the book of Romans. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin's not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sit sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, 
So also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the, trans the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we are so thankful that we live in this age of grace, that grace reigns, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. For those of you that were here last Sunday night, we saw the film on Genesis, uh, actually it's on Genesis 1. Uh, it spoke about creation and how we can trust God's Word when it speaks about creation. God's highest creation was man. And the Bible says He placed man in the garden, a paradise where he could have lived eternally if he had not sinned. I like what Moses said when he reads... When he, when he tells about the creation, it says, Then God said, and at the end of the passage, he says, and it was so. Now, hopefully you got your Bible where you can get to Genesis 1. We're going to read some passages there about the creation of man. Uh, Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. He blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, it gives us a little bit more detail about the creation of man. Verse 7 of chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food including the tree of life in the midst of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now notice there were two special trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I don't see anywhere that there was a prohibition against reading, excuse me, against eating from the tree of life. But God said, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet, after Satan's deception, Eve ate from the fruit of that tree and she offered it to Adam and he ate. Adam was not deceived. He intentionally, willfully disobeyed God. And so we have the details in, in chapter 3 of Genesis. Um, verse 1 says, The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? I think Eve should have stopped, said right there, hey, animals don't talk. But she didn't. The woman said, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but from the tr fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you'll die. No, you certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the woman saw the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, that's when it happened right there. Death through, and death through sin, in this way it spread to all people because all sinned. And Paul repeats that in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in Romans 13, 5.13 it says that sin was in the world before the law was given. How did that happen? You ever notice that every society has a moral code? They know the difference between right and wrong. But how did all sin if there was no law? Well, we know it's true that we've all sinned. We've all broken the Ten Commandments. We know that. Go back and look at your life and say, hmm, maybe I did pretty good. How many of you have never broken the Ten Commandments? We all did. If you said no, you, you broke the one about lying. But, but before the law... Before God gave the law to Moses to give to the people, God had put His moral code in our hearts. How do I know that? Well, God hadn't yet given the law, yet men was, was corrupt. Look at Cain. Cain killed his brother, and then he hid his body. How did he know to hide the body? How did he know it was wrong? God had put it on his heart. Look at the time before the flood. In Romans 6.3, it says, God says, my, excuse me, in Genesis 6.3, it's, God says, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. How could God call them corrupt if there was no law? Because God had put his moral code in man's heart. Genesis 6.5 says, when the Lord saw man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord God regretted that He had made man on the earth and He was deeply grieved. How could there be evil on men's heart if there was no law? God had put it on their heart. He revealed Himself in His creation and in His mercy He put right and wrong in men's hearts. And yet still their mind was always on evil. And so God judged the earth. Another proof that God's moral code is on our hearts is, is our conscience. Our conscience tells us when we've done wrong. Uh, another proof is uh, the evil in society even after the flood. Uh, look at Isaac. God... 
uh, Jacob summoned, summoned Isaac and he said, I want you to go and I want you to go marry a Canaanite girl. Excuse me. Don't marry a Canaanite girl. I want you to go to Pat, Pat and Aram to the, to the, to the house of Bethuel, uh, your mother's father and marry one of the sons of Laban. Why would, why would, uh, Jacob tell his son not to marry a Canaanite? Because they didn't worship God. How did Abraham's descendants know not to, not to, to, to marry other peoples because there was only one God and, but the first commandment hadn't yet been given. You shall have no other gods before me because of the moral code. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God because they knew they had sinned. And you know, men are just like that today. John wrote, this is the judgment. The lights come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so his deeds, deeds may not be exposed. And the Scripture says when Adam sinned, he died. But the record says he's still alive. What, what, what's God talking about? Well, he was still physically alive after disobeying God. But spiritually, he was separated from God. No more walks in the cool of the evening with God. Now, Dr. Herschel Hobbes, who wrote a commentary on Romans, said Adam was not created righteous, but he was created innocent. We were created innocent with a, with a, a nature like Adam's, and we have a bent to sin. We're all sinners by nature, and I can prove that. How many of you remember one of the first words your children learned that nobody had to teach them? No! And that other four-letter word, mine. Who taught them that? Nobody. Now, my mother-in-law did teach my son to jump on the bed. I'll admit that. But most of those things, most of those things, it's just in their heart. So we're sinners by nature. And then when we get to the age of accountability, we choose to sin. We choose to disobey God. How did Adam sin if there was no law? God had told him specifically, do not eat from that tree. But he disobeyed God and sin entered the world. And death. And then God showed His mercy by kicking Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. You say, mercy? How is that? Well, Genesis goes on to say, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So God cast him out. Can you imagine living eternally in your sin? Imagine living eternally, suffering the effects of disease and decay and trauma and sin. If he'd eaten them from the tree of life, he'd live forever. Can you imagine eternal pain with no death in sight? So God in His mercy kicked him out. But, but people still continued to sin, so God gave His law so that men would know the difference between right and wrong and to show us that we need a Savior because nobody can keep the law. We just know what God's standard is. But Paul says, 
Before the law was given, God didn't hold sin against humanity. I'm going to read 5.13 again from the Amplified Version. Sin was committed in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone when there's no law against it. And in Galatians, Paul says the law was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. The purpose of the law was not only to show us what righteousness was, but to show us that we needed Jesus. And 5.13 shows us the character of God. Um, Sin's not charged when there's no law, it says. But nevertheless, Paul says in verse 14, death reigned. Death reigned even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. What does that mean, Adam's transgression? He's the one that willfully disobeyed God. Um, Death reigned before the law was given. And then Paul says something I thought was kind of strange. Adam is a type or pattern of Christ. If Adam's a sinner and Christ is perfect, how is Adam a, a type of Christ? Everything that he did affected others. When Adam sinned, it affected all of humanity. When Christ died on the cross, it was an offer for all of humanity to have eternal life. Well, the first picture that Paul references is is the garden. When man was created and man sinned. But he also pictures another picture in Romans 5, and that's Calvary. And in John chapter 19, beginning with the 17th verse, it says, carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what's called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this place because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And then skipping down a, a, a few verses. After this, after Jesus had been on the cross a while, when Jesus knew everything was now finished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. They fixed a a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to His mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it's finished. Then bowing His head, He died. Those words, it's finished, mean that Jesus had accomplished three things when He died. First, all the Scripture about Jesus and about redemption had been fulfilled. It had been completed. The judgment on sin was completed. And forgiveness of sin was made available through the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. By dying on the cross and shedding His blood, He provided forgiveness of sin. And then Hebrews 9 also reminds us that Jesus only had to do it one time. You remember in the Old Testament law that every year the priests went in on the Day of Atonement and they offered up a sacrifice for the people every single year and then multiple sacrifices throughout the, throughout the year for different, different sins and different offerings. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus went to the cross only one time because He completed the work of salvation. 
It's finished. Nothing more is needed. Verse 28 of Hebrews 9 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on Him. That's how Jesus could say, it's finished. His work's done. He's just waiting for God to say, it's now time to come back and get your church and take them home. Well, in doing all this, Paul compared Adam to Jesus. And in the last half of this passage, he points out in verse 18, just as through one trespass, trespass there's condemnation for everyone, through one righteous act there's justification leading to life for everyone. One time Adam's sin had affected all of creation. One time, every man was affected. One time, Jesus died on the cross, and the offer of eternal life is to all. Grace entered the world through that one act. In verse 19, he says, just, through, just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's you and me. We were all made sinners by His act. So also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We're off eternal life because of what Jesus did. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us. God made Jesus who had never sinned to take on the sins of the world and on the cross. He paid for those sins that we might have eternal life and might be made righteous. And then in verse 20, it says, excuse me, I skipped. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Adam's sin resulted in judgment and wrath. In verse 9 of chapter 5, says condemnation because of one sin. But from the many trespasses came one gift, justification and grace. And so that's why Paul says that sin reigned in death through Adam. But grace reigns through Jesus. When sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Jesus offers eternal life. And that's what Paul's pointing out here. Grace reigns. That's why we can have life. That's why we can live. I shared briefly about Audia. Her, she, I was her pastor for several years in Brazil. Her son, Jonatus, wrote on Facebook about the reunion they're looking forward to when they get to heaven. And you know, that's what grace does. God's grace prepares us for eternity. God's grace prepares us to live forever in His presence, in God's presence. Do you know that grace today? Let's pray. Father, I'm so glad that sin doesn't reign Though we look around and we see so much sin in the world, Your Word says that grace reigns. Where sin multiplied, grace reigns even more. Grace multiplies even more. 
We're thankful, Father, for what You've done through Jesus. We're thankful that what Adam did wasn't the end. We're thankful, Father, that we don't have to be separated from You. We can walk each day with You through Jesus. Father, I pray that today we would rejoice in what You've done. We'd rejoice that one day we'd spend eternity in Your presence and that began the moment we accepted Jesus. Thank You, Father, for loving us. Thank You for the life we have in Christ. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. As God spoken to your heart today, we need to respond to Him. And I don't know how He's speaking to you today, but my heart is saying, thank You, Lord. So let's respond. We're going to stand and sing our invitation to Him. I need the every hour as God speaks to you, you respond to Him. Let's pray. sing.